Well, it's hard to believe 52 years ago, December 31st, 1967, the Cowboys and Packers squared off in the NFL championship game, minus 13 degrees it was, and we're with the great Chuck Mercine. And Chuck, you had a big day that day. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, it was a great day for me, for the Green Bay Packers and our fans. Uh, I'll never forget it. Uh, interestingly, today, as you may know, the weather in Green Bay is very similar to the day we played that famous game, the Ice Bowls, 13 below zero, until this morning. So uh, that's a coincidence for sure. But it's a game that will live in my memory forever and in the memories of many, many fans as well. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but um, it's the most watched game in NFL uh, films history, the Ice Bowl. So uh, uh, my having uh, the contribution that I was able to make in that game was very fortuitous for me uh, to still be recognized as indeed I still get fan mail every week uh, because of that particular game. So I feel blessed that I was able to uh, help contribute to the Green Bay Packers winning their third NFL championship in a row, which, as you probably know, is still uh, the precedent that uh, that has never been broken since. And you were a Giant first. You you played for Ali Sherman and the Giants, and Wellington Mara was the guy that made you a giant because you were going to sign with the Buffalo Bills. And Mara was kind of your guy, and he sent you to the Packers and really changed your life. Yes, that's absolutely true. Wellington Mara personally scouted me at Yale and, uh, and, and wanted me very much to come to the New York Giants and uh, convinced me that I should play there instead of the uh, Buffalo Bills, who had a very lucrative and good offer on the table for me because they wanted me to replace their fullback who was retiring, a guy named Cookie Gilchrist, a great player. So uh to Mara convinced me that uh, their retiring fullback, Alex Webster, they liked me to replace him. So, you know, um, I agreed to come to the Giants. Um, the only problem that ensued was their number one pick. I, I was their second pick. The number one pick was Tucker Fredrickson, uh, who was the number one pick in the entire draft, and he also was a fullback. And I was misinformed by uh, Ali Sherman that uh, I would still be playing fullback and Tucker would move to halfback, but that didn't happen. So uh, I initially was uh, behind the eight ball, you know, having uh, to try to compete against the number one pick in the draft. So it didn't work out that well for me with the Giants. I did play my second year uh, when Tucker was injured and I was their leading rusher. Um, and uh, so I did perform, uh, showed that I could play. But the third year, we came back, and it went right back to my being behind him. So, um, you know, make a long story short, Long Tamara was able to move me to the Green Bay Packers due to his friendship with Vince Lombardi. And those years with the Giants were kind of the start of some dark years, really, until 1981 when the Giants returned to the playoffs. Kind of like what the fans are relating to today, the Giants going through some struggles back then because it was the post-Sam Huff era. Yes, exactly right. For some reason, Ali Sherman got rid of Sam Hoff, Rosie Greer, um, oh, a multitude of other players. Uh, just uh, denuded the team from its uh, you know, a veteran base, and uh, we went into a dark period. The Giants, that is, for many years, as you point out. So uh, this is a similar time now with the Giants. Although I think they have, you know, hope that they can turn this around pretty quickly uh, with their new coaching staff and uh, a few new draft picks. In doing my research, of course, Wellington Mara, a, a great role model for you. Then you went to a guy you called the voice of God, called you Vince Lombardi. And these were two men of extreme character that had an impact on your life. Oh, that's for sure. Uh, both strong characters, but completely different characters. Uh, Wellington Mara uh, being a real gentle man, 
you know, a wonderful uh, person uh, with a huge uh, family um, and a loving man and just a very caring person. And Vince Lombardi, uh, you know, a very tough guy. You know, uh, uh, I, I'm familiar with his heritage since I have Italian background myself on, on my mother's side. And I know what the men are like in the family, that they're very strong, uh, strong-willed, um, authoritarian, you know, and um, not too affectionate, uh, just uh, basically uh, hard-driving individuals as he was. So it was uh, two different characters, two different personalities, um, but both um, high-character individuals. Mike DeMergis here on WVOX. We're talking with the great Chuck Mercine, former New York Giants fullback, angry Bay Packers fullback, famous for his play in the Ice Bowl, December 31st, 1967. And Chuck, uh, the, the Packers were down 17-14, to 4.50 remaining. Take us in the huddle of that famous game. Okay. Well, first of all, we hadn't done a darn thing in the second half. Um, and, and Ray Nitschke, the famous Hall of Fame linebacker, said, don't let me down. He said that to you, right? Sure. Uh, we, yeah, we punted the ball away. Uh, or I should say Dallas punted the ball away. We, we got the ball um, for what was going to be the final drive, 68 yards from Paydirt. And as I said, we hadn't, I don't think, made much of an impact at all in the game in the second half. The conditions had gotten so poor. Uh, the chill factor was like 50 below zero by that time, and uh, the ice was uh, all over the field. But, you know, uh, going into that huddle beforehand, yes, Ray Nitschke was coming off the field as the defense was, and he was yelling at all of us, don't let me down, don't let me down. And I certainly wasn't going to be the one to let Ray Nitschke down, and I don't think anybody else was too. But once we got in the huddle, uh, Bart uh, grabbed it, uh, pulled it, pulled us all together and said, okay, let's get this done. It was, uh, you know, an um, amazing moment of clarity. Uh, there wasn't any uh, hesitation. Although, again, we hadn't done a damn thing in the game uh, in the second half at all. We knew that this was our last chance. And all of our training and all the discipline and all the hard work, it all came to the front, uh, to the fore in that last drive. And so we started uh, – Donnie Anderson ran a little uh, off-tackle slant for, I think, about four yards. Um, I got a, a, a similar type play on the other side to the right side to the short side of the field, and I made seven yards for the first down of, uh, in a long time in the half, and our very first down in that drive. So that was a big impact uh, play and uh, got me started on the drive. And i never forget, uh, it was right into our bench, and Vincent Marty you know, he yelled at me, he said, Chuck, way to go, Chuck, you know, and uh, it was really very affirming to me because you didn't get too many compliments from Vince and Marty. <laughs> and, and you told Bart, too, you're, the linebacker's playing off you and you'd be open in the left flat, right? I did, I did, actually. Uh, you know, we started dunk, dunking some balls out, out, of the, uh, out of the backfield to Donnie Anderson on little circle patterns after checking for blitz. And uh, I realized what uh, what was going on when I did the same thing. I checked for blitz, and I realized both the linebackers were dropping straight back into uh, hook coverage. Um, they weren't thinking of uh, blitzing or, you know, uh, playing anything but hook coverage, you know, just protecting their zones. So I realized that on a circle uh, pattern out of the backfield, I could be open on a flare, too. So I told that to Bart, and I don't normally know. I never, I think, actually ever said anything in the huddle because that was his huddle. And uh, But I needed to tell him because it was too important. I just said, look, Bart, I'm open in the left flat if you need me. So 
So sure enough, he hit me for a 19-yard gain down the left sidelines when we really needed it. It was third and long. And uh, and then the very next play, he called my play again on a give play, uh, which was a play that uh, we influenced the great Bob Lilly to uh, – follow uh, Jerry Kramer out of the backfield uh, to the right side as, as if it were going to be a sweep to Donnie Anderson. And I, I filled the hole where he was. There was really no blocking in that hole. Um, that's because the guard had vacated it, you know, to go pull to help the sweep. So it was a very uh, significant play. It only worked because uh, Bob Lilly was such a great all-pro, and he by that time he knew when the guard pulled and swept it that uh, the sweep was coming. So he was trying to disrupt the play down the line of scrimmage, and I ran up the middle for another eight yards. So that was, you know, half the yardage in the drive and got us right down to the goal line. After that, they tried Donnie Anderson on a couple of dives, and then they called my number. 30 wedge, right? 30 wedge. 30 wedge, exactly. And uh, I was uh, the most surprised guy in the whole uh, stadium when I did not get the ball. Vince, uh, Coach uh, Vince, uh, Vince Lombardi and Bart Starr discussed it on the sideline. They called a timeout before that play. And uh, Bart told him that, that Donnie was having trouble. Our backs, I was too, in matter of fact, getting footage, you know, in the, in the ice. He said, I, I could, I could just dive it in myself just to use a quarterback sneak. And we didn't have that in the playbook. But nevertheless, it was only about a half a yard. So instead of giving me the ball, he did dive over himself. I was very surprised. I didn't get it. Put my hands up in the air, not to show touchdown, but just to show the referee that I wasn't assisting Bart into the end zone, which at that time would have been a penalty. And there, there had to be great fear because there was only 16 seconds left in the game as well. That if he didn't get in, that was, would that would be it. That was it. It was it. it was that's the kind of that's the kind of determination that Vince Lombardi had, and I think our team had. I never thought of one one, one moment that we weren't going to score. It was just a matter of whether I'd be taking it over or whether Bart would. You know, a lot of cho- coaching changes throughout the years. You see with different teams. Some teams get it right. Some teams get it wrong. You know, explain the difference between having a coach like Vince Lombardi and then having a coach like Ali Sherman. The difference it makes, particularly more than any other sport, I think, than football. Yeah, I, I think that you know um, the difference between a, a Vince Lombardi and an Ali Sherman is you know it, it's gargantuan. I mean, you know, uh, to, and I don't want to speak poorly of the dead, of course, because you know uh, Ali's no longer with us. But you know. Um, you have to have confidence in the coach that uh, he knows what he's doing, that he's uh, loyal to his uh, players to a, to an extent. I mean, it's a business, I know. But, you know, I think what, you know, what, what Allie did was getting rid of that team the way he denuded it was, you know, getting Sam Huff off to the Redskins and Rosie Greer to the, you know, um, to the car, to the uh, Los Angeles Rams and, and the other guys to other teams. It just it kind of left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth as far as, you know, their own jobs uh, and, and, and their own, uh, you know, security. You know, Al used to say, you know, I've got a 10-year contract and none of you guys do, that kind of thing. So we all kind of felt we were susceptible to uh, whatever whims he might have had. So, you know, when you went to play for Ben Sombardi, the first thing you heard was, you know, there are three important things in your life, you know, God, family, and the Green Bay Packers. So you knew right away that his loyalty was, you know, you know, in the right place. And uh, so you felt, uh, you know, more secure, you know, and, and that helped you to play better. He also was, Vince said his coach Lombardi was such an authoritarian figure, a father-like figure, that he held the respect of people because uh, of a little bit of fear. You know, you, it's like you fear your father if you're going to disappoint him. You don't want to get, 
you know, uh, punished or, or, or let him down. That's how, how the way he thought with Coach Lombardi. You know, you just didn't want to make a mistake. You didn't want to uh, not give him 100% effort because uh, you didn't want to hear from him, that's for sure. But, uh, <laughs> and, and both Lombardi and Landry were New York Giant uh, coaches, defense and offense. And is it true that Lombardi, you know, certainly was a, a motivator and Landry more the tactician? Did, was Lombardi a little intimidated by Landry's intelligence at times? Or by that point, he had gotten past that? I don't think he was intimidated by anything. <laughs> Vince Lombardi was not not a person to be intimidated. Really, um, he was a different. You know, he he was a, a, a totally different kind of coach, like you said. You know, um, Tom Landry was a, also a great coach, but um, you know, wasn't the kind of fiery type of person. Again, this is a, if you're Italian or you know anybody. It is, you know, there's a lot of emotion in those people, our people. And, uh, you know, um, Coach was not afraid to wear his emotions on his sleeve. And um, a very forceful, uh, it could be loud, you know, uh, demanding kind of person. Wait, an Italian New Yorker being loud in the Midwest? Really? (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I I guess it was kind of an afterthought at the time, too. You you crushed the Raiders in the Super Bowl 33 to 14. So that was really an afterthought, right? Total afterthought. It was like an exhibition game. We didn't even sell it out. You know, there was some, a little bit of pressure because we didn't want to lose the game. But honestly, uh, it wasn't the same watching films before the game. It was a relaxed kind of atmosphere, which is unusual. Uh, not Coach. Coach was upset because, not, not upset, but he was uptight a little bit because he had a lot of responsibility. Every owner in the league, you know, called him and said, don't dare, you know, don't you lose this game now. That kind of thing, you know. Um, but, you know, the players, we looked at the films and we didn't see a whole lot with the Raiders. We saw players that they thought were great that were cut by the Green Bay Packers, you know, that kind of thing that played for them. So, you know, it was really an afterthought in a way, uh, very anticlimactic. Uh, the, our Super Bowl was the Ice Bowl, and it still, as I said, remains the most watched game in NFL history. So, you know, that's, uh, yeah, you know, the Super Bowl really didn't take on its. Uh, what it has today until uh, Joe Namath and the Jets upset the Baltimore Colts, which was in Super Bowl three. And we're talking with Chuck Mercine, former New York Giants and Green Bay Packers fullback, Super Bowl winner, Super Bowl two. And Chuck, uh, you went from Bart Starr and a couple of years later you joined the Jets and played under Namath. Uh, talk about the difference in quarterbacks and what made each of them great. Well, I wish I'd played under Joe Namath. He's the one that got me to come to the Jets, uh, actually. Um, recommended me to... Uh, Reeb Eubank. Uh, I could have gone to the Dallas Cowboys at the time. How unusual would that have been? But uh, Joe got hurt, and so we ended up with, with uh, Al Woodall. But I mean, I know enough about Joe anyway, even though I didn't play. Actually, he was hurt at the time I was at the Jets. But, you know, Joe was a tremendously likable person, a great personality, and a tremendous football player, a great quarterback. And, um, you know, uh, people loved, loved him. And so, uh, you know, when you love somebody, you want to play hard for him. So uh, he had really that great team, that uh, Super Bowl three team that they had was, uh, was quite something. A lot of great players. But Joe was, uh, the, you know, the straw that made the drink stir, you know. I always wanted to ask somebody, what was it like to get hit by Sam Huff? Well, Sam Huff, he he was tough, and uh, you know he wasn't exactly <laughs> the cleanest player. You know, you knew it on the bottom of the pile if Sam was in there. So, um, so you know, and he was also vocal too. You love chin music out of him. You know, I got hit by other people harder though, believe me, including Dick Butkus. 
Oh, Dick Buckus, another great one. Uh, we're talking with Chuck Mercine, former Giants and Packers fullback. And, Chuck, you went on to a career on Wall Street. So, really one of the most historic games in the history of pro football, the ice ball. And then, of course, you uh, were work- working uh, as a, a stockbroker during yeah, Black I was, Monday. I was, a, I was a stock trader, an institutional trader. So, I, I covered uh, from the trading desk of many Wall Street firms. Uh, the other side of the phone would be uh, – people who represented uh, institutions like uh, bank trust departments, uh, insurance companies, hedge funds, mutual funds, and other kinds of professionally managed funds. So we, I helped them to consecrate, I mean, to, uh, to, to trade, actually, you know, a huge box of stock. So you kept your cool in the fourth quarter of an NFL championship game. Uh, how'd you keep your cool on uh, Black Monday, 1987? No, it wasn't easy, believe me. We thought the roof was falling in. It was, actually. I'll never forget, I was with Drexel Burnham at the time, which went out of business, actually, a couple of years later. And uh, we had a young head trader, and about midway in the afternoon, he, he got on the mic and he said, all right, that's it. The stocks are stopping going down now. We're putting our money on the line. So we all of a sudden started buying stock for our own account to try to halt or, you know, in, in some sense, the, the downfall. And, of course, that was a huge mistake because we got hit by so many people selling that uh, we had to stop that after about 10 minutes. But we ended up losing tens of millions of dollars. He ended up losing his job, by the way. You know, you couldn't call that market. By the end of the day, we thought, you know, we thought the bottom had fallen out, basically. Um, greatest percentage loss of a trading day ever. And um, um, all you could do is just, you know, uh, you know, try to not to, to get out of the way, but it was hard. To, it was hard not to be uh, affected by it if you were trading. Are you shocked by what you see? You know, the, the surge of what the NFL is as far as ratings wise and the business and and the value of teams. Are you shocked by that in the NFL? Oh yeah, whoever thought such a thing could ever happen, and it's been fairly recent. I mean. You know, when the Giants uh, sold uh, half their team, it was uh, Timmy Mara's estate, actually. They needed to do that to pay uh, taxes and so forth. I think Bob Tisch bought that team, or the half team, for yep. $75 yep. Million or $100 million. Mm-hmm. It's worth probably $4 billion now. Yeah, about you that. Know, and NFL teams are worth about $4 billion. That's right. It's, it's exp- exponential. Um, you know, whoever would have thought that it could be so uh, so lucrative and so popular. It, you know, when I say that, believe it or not, you know, it wasn't as great, uh, you know, as as uh, as it is today in terms of popularity, in terms of um, people making money in it, even the owners. And uh, you know, there were not that many teams to begin with. There were there were like fourteen teams in the NFL. You know, when I when I was coming up, so it was actually harder to be drafted and make a team than it is today because you got thirty two teams, I think, today, and we had less than half of that. All right, in the last couple of minutes, what's one change in football you'd like to see? Um, you know what. I'd like to see, you know, uh, blocking and tackling, uh, fundamental football improve. And I think that, uh, you know, as an offensive player, I, I think you couldn't tackle me today if you, if you didn't wrap up. And they don't wrap up. These uh, players are flying around the field. They're very fast. And they're trying to make uh, highlight reel you know, tackles without really even wrapping their arms around guys. They kind of, like, try to block them to the ground. And uh, I, I don't like to see that. I think it's sloppy. And I think there's a lot of uh, holding that goes on in the line of scrimmage. So the blocking has gotten sloppy. You could call holding in every single play practically. So uh, I think uh, that's a, that's, those are two things I'd try to improve on. If I was coaching today or if I was in the league, I'd, I'd try to force people to uh, learn to tackle uh, better and to block better. 
All right, Chuck Mercine, Super Bowl winner, Super Bowl II, played in the Ice Bowl 52 years ago. Uh, also, White Plains resident, Chuck, thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome. My pleasure.